0: This is Aspire, Arch Street Public Radio, a content-driven platform broadcasting interviews from our Innovate, Innovate Media, Innovate CSR, and Innovate Under 30 podcast series. Aspire gives public voice to socially conscious and forward-thinking leaders within the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, academia, journalism, and social entrepreneurship.
1: My name is Anne Ulizio, Director of Special Projects for Art Street Press, and I will be your host today. Today our guest is Marina Kim, the 30-year-old co-founder and executive director of Ashoka U, an organization that collaborates with colleges and universities to break down barriers to institutional change and to foster a culture of social innovation. The goal is to integrate the education and training of skill sets for social change into the basic curriculum of these accredited colleges and universities, to transform these institutions into hubs of social innovation and progress, and to foster generations of social entrepreneurs to come. Ashoka U launched in 2008 as a program of Ashoka, Innovators for the Public. The launch signified the three-decade mark of Ashoka's work with almost 3,000 social entrepreneurs in 70 countries, as well as an opportunity to take that work to the next level and inspire future generations to become changemakers our society needs. Marina has been a leader in the field of social entrepreneurship for over a decade. Her roots are at Stanford University, where she led the Future Social Innovators Network, the Social Entrepreneurs Challenge, and she co-founded the university's first minor in social innovation. She was also named one of Forbes magazine's 30 Under 30 for social entrepreneurship. And her work has been featured in the New York Times, Social Edge, Change.org, and and in the Chronicle of Higher Education. Marina, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. It is truly a pre- pleasure.
2: Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Anne. Great.
1: So, I'd just like to get started, basically, with your your experiences at Stanford as a student. Uh, can you tell us about these? initial introductory experiences to the realm of social entrepreneurship and where your drive and your entrepreneurial spirit in starting the university's first social innovation minor came from.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, well I I got to Stanford uh, very excited and ready to jump in and you know uh, do a bit of everything and it was actually lucky that my first week I was flipping through the course bulletin and happened to see a lecture series called Social Innovation and the Social Entrepreneur and um, it was very intriguing. I st- I didn't understand what social innovation was but I knew that I was in Silicon Valley and innovation and entrepreneurship were important and I already had, um I'd studied about fair trade, socially responsible business in high school and was already looking for how to get involved with that. So social innovation and social entrepreneurship um, was something that I learned about my first week. And then when I went to the first lecture series and heard a social entrepreneur speak, I was both completely blown away and inspired, but also um, I, I pretty much knew from that first lecture that that's what I wanted to do and the kind of movement and the kind of career path I wanted to pursue um, for a long time to come. And so I've been lucky that um, I was able to do that and get involved in all different types of student leadership um, during college and have been able to you know work nearly a decade since college um, to continue to to build it out um, at a global level with colleges and universities around the world but one thing i would say is that um you know when i was a student leader and getting involved in leading then the social entrepreneurship lecture series myself the following year and then um leading the the social innovators challenge and building more awareness raising activities on campus and and building connections so that students could intern with with social entrepreneurs and and you know learn how they could build it into their own life path um what i would say that was really critical it was um both meeting a co-founder, um Aaron Krampitz, um and 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 actually I've continued uh, she's still now the co-founder of Ashoka U to this day and so we've been working together for over a decade. Um and so what I would say is that um you know I was very lucky that I learned about it my first week Of college, but but really, when you're uh, involved with long term movement building, what's important is not only that initial passion, but really having collaborative leadership and a really strong team. And so, between me and Aaron, as co founders, as undergrads, and now kind of post college, um, we were really lucky to work with some of the best of the best of Stanford undergrads and graduate students, and now, um, you know, pulling in top talent from around the world. And and many of them from, from the graduates from the campuses we work with as changemaker campuses that and I'll get into that a little bit later.
1: Sure and actually in that same vein of collaborative work with you know top um, graduate students and undergraduate students as well as um, other nonprofits I guess I read uh, a, your contributing ar- article excuse me in Forbes about your sort of mentor mentee relationship
2: with Ashoka Fellow Jane Liu. Oh yes yeah. she was absolutely incredible that's great. Yeah.
1: And how was she? How was she involved? I I read that I read that she had read your proposal and sort of gave you some tough love originally and said, you know, you need to rework this. But how was she sort of integral in in the process from there? Uh, for, I, I guess you had an, a year long apprenticeship. I guess you could say mm-hmm. um, with yeah. Jane.
2: So, so I think when you're in college and when you're, whether you're a graduate or undergraduate student, the most important thing is to be involved and learn through doing. But when you're in the professional world and you're doing it full time and you're, you know, leading a a venture and you have certain kinds of, um, management responsibilities, fundraising responsibilities, external, um, uh, representation responsibilities, often there are things that young social entrepreneurs have not technically been trained in other than learning on the job when they were student leaders. And so that's basically where Aaron and I found ourselves um, a few years out when we had launched Ashoka U and, you know, we'd gotten through our first pilot year and, you know, we'd, we'd done what we knew how to do, which was work really, really hard, um, ask for a lot of help jump straight in and learn by doing, but there's just a certain kind of professional expertise that, you know, some people go and they learn in MBAs in some cases, but, but frankly, I think the best professional skills are learned through being around top professionals and very few people as young social entrepreneurs have the opportunity to be mentored and coached over the course of a year um, very um, pointedly even you know on every document on you know prepping before media interviews prepping um, you know before or after tough negotiations and so we were lucky that we were able to bring in um, an Ashoka fellow um, who and I think the important thing is she was on a sabbatical between ventures. So she had just transitioned leadership out of her first venture, Upwardly Global. Had you know was planning to take about a year um, to you know to 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 rest. Okay. Um, not work eighty-hour weeks anymore, um, and then figure out what her next venture was. So we were able to grab her in that time period. We initially just asked her to give us some advice on our executive summary, and you know, two weeks of mentorship um, for a, a big event we had coming up. And it it, it actually turned into a, a of ultimately a full year where she served as an exec interim executive director for Ashoka U, and and gave us both the, the tough love that you mentioned and, and real training in how to do professional writing of, you know, business plans, um, strategy documents, executive summaries, funding proposals. She really drilled us and, and, you know, um, really worked with us to show us what excellence looked like. But on the other hand, it was really about having a thought partner that as, you know, Erin and I were thinking through big, important strategic decisions or dealing with challenging issues that come up on a day-to-day basis with, you know, various partners, various funders, various team members, um, we had someone who was on our side who could talk us through from their experience what they would do. They could coach us on how to role play out how to do a difficult conversation, and then we would do it, and then we would debrief and learn from that. So, in many ways, I actually think of it as um, you know, I got an MBA um, in terms of the level of, of professional training, mm-hmm. but we got it on the job with an expert leader, and you know, I was getting a salary at the time. So, I think it's a very good deal, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and actually having those really tough live case studies um, rather than a theoretical case study that you would discuss in an MBA class was really, it made it 10 times harder because, you know, dealing with complicated um, partners or or funders is is basically what we have to deal with on a daily basis. But it's really scary learning how to do it when you haven't done it before. So it was just invaluable. I'd recommend to anyone who is a young social entrepreneur, you know, We already had a a wonderful advisory council of, you know, senior leaders from the social sector, the philanthropic sector, the business sector, but having once or twice a year advisory council meetings or general advisory meetings is a completely different level of of coaching and mentorship that you get um, rather than someone who's really working with you, you know, nearly 40 hours a week in the trenches with, you know, on your phone calls and, and giving you feedback all the time.
1: Right. And it's wonderful that you had that experience yourself and you learned that lesson about the value of learning by doing, as you said. That um, yes. So going forward, you know, as you're working with college students, you can really connect with them on a more personal level. Like you went through, like you said, you went through the trenches, you did the legwork, you had to sort of build on this idea and put it into practice and learn the real life training and the, the case studies to make it work. So it seems like it would be a perfect segue into sort of connecting with these students on another another level, you know, coming to them saying, I, you know, I've been there, I know how you're feeling, and I can empathize mm-hmm. completely and sort of help them steer them in the right direction from there. That's wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, it also speaks to, you know, the best thing about students is that they're often so fired up and passionate um, and fearless that they will go out and do something, whether or not they're qualified to do it. Mm-hmm. But I think, downside is that they will go out and do something whether or not they're qualified to do it. (laughs) And the, the, you know, the good news is that in going out and trying and maybe it not working out as exactly planned, that's how they learn. But I think there has to be um, a a better way to learn faster and learn without um, necessarily setting a lot of expectations that you will do amazing big work and then letting people down that actually need your help. So um, I think the question of the passion is one side and, you know, students have that in, in bucket loads, but I think the professionalism and the, the skills, uh, and, and it's not even just finance skills or, you know, the technical skills or, you know, things you could get help for as a leader. The most challenging skills are negotiating conflict, negotiating many different people wanting different things and it not aligning with your strategy and how you um, lead through that um, conflict. Um, You know, figuring out how you get the money, even if a funder um, needs to be brought along because they're not uh, as strategic as you'd like them to be and they're trying to bring you down to do very tactical um, service based. Uh, projects. And so part of it is just every single thing you do is so sophisticated and so complicated Mm -hmm. from a communications, from an interpersonal, from a strategic um, level that, you know, going from a student leadership and a student group level to, um, you know, running your own venture, that's a very big leap. And, you know, many people grow on the job, but they're, they're, is just a lot of comfort in having someone who's actually been there talk you through it along the way so that you can avoid some of the biggest failures and challenges that you'll learn along the way, but also you can, you know, become more confident and strong as a leader um, as quickly as you possibly can.
1: Right, and I actually, I watched a video of your presentation of Ashoka U programming at Rollins College. I believe it was (laughs) earlier this year, in February maybe? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and you said that, you know, you said that Ashoku is not so much focused on the venture creation side of things. It's more focused mm-hmm. on the sense of confidence and the sense of identity for these students that, you know, while they do have this drive and this passion that they can actually put it into effect and do something positive in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also mentioned that these students have given feedback about Ashoku U and that they really sort of, they sort of grew the most, I guess, from the coupling of this, sort of integration of the rigorous academic structure with the community development experience in third world learning Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a dichotomous sort of you know there's two sides to it but they go hand in hand Mm -hmm. um so what i mean in terms of the tools you know for programming i mean on a daily basis if a student were to enroll in a in in an ashoka u program what would be some of the things um that they might come across some of the some of the Coursework, some of the tools that would be, I guess, highlighted or emphasized the most?
2: Mm -hmm. So we really, it varies very much by, by campus. And so on the campus side, what we look for is. Uh, a visionary leader that we call a change leader who's usually the director of social innovation campus-wide or the director of social innovation uh, who is a, a special assistant to the president or provost. Um, really someone who ha- is incredibly entrepreneurial, knows how to navigate a university environment, can activate faculty to get on board and teach courses across the curriculum and can actually get buy-in from the senior leadership, the deans, the presidents, the provost, the board of trustees to to really embed this as a priority um, in whatever way makes sense for a specific campus. So in the case of some campuses, um, for example, Babson College, which is rated number one in global entrepreneurship for the last 34 years, um, they really come from a business and entrepreneurship perspective, but yet they're layering in the business and entrepreneurial applications to social issues social problems, both global and local. And so they have built in a lot of additional supports in terms of funding and incubation and coursework on top of their already strong entrepreneurship training programs. Mm -hmm. So if you're a student coming to Babson, it will really be about entrepreneurial thinking, entrepreneurial leadership with a social entrepreneurship focus and you can, you know, find lots of different opportunities. And Babson is really interesting in that they both have um, uh, funding opportunities, you know, throughout to, to kind of get involved and launch your own ventures and ideas. Um, but also they have a program called From Day One so that on the first day of orientation for every first year student, they get to learn about on-campus and off-campus opportunities related to social innovation. So if you're Babson College, you really will be able to learn from the very beginning, both during the application process itself, you'll learn about social innovation as a part of what you could do at Babson, but also um, from the first day, you can actually experience all the different funding, academic, partnership, community level opportunities for how to get engaged um, and then also how to continue to stay engaged throughout your academic programming, throughout your summer internships, throughout your extracurricular leadership, and you'll have a whole series of, of mentors and advisors who can help you along the way. Um, on the other hand, um, other campuses really come from very strong um, community development and community partnership roots, more so than the business and entrepreneurship side. So um, as opposed to Fabson, if you think of Tulane University, which is located in New Orleans, um, Immediately after Hurricane Katrina, they were the first campus in the United States to have mandatory um, community service for all freshmen. And so Tulane started becoming known as the, um, as, as really the, if you're interested in rebuilding New Orleans, if you're interested in um, serving the community, if you're interested in having a social impact, come to New Orleans. And so that became the identity the first few years after Hurricane Katrina. And what they realized is that all of these students were getting involved in the community, getting um, exposed to all the different social issues and all the different social needs. Um, and they brought in um, social innovation and social entrepreneurship, um, they now have a minor in social innovation, um, and they have, you know, a whole series of, of faculty and academic directors, and they have a, a vice provost for social innovation and civic engagement, um, who is also an Ashoka fellow. Um, and so they've really been built, and we work directly with the special assistant to the president for social innovation. So they've really built up a campus-wide culture um, that is also supported with a rigorous academic curriculum and also community-based partnerships. Um, But as opposed to Babson, which is known for the business and entrepreneurship, you come to Tulane if you want to be um, a force for positive social change in New Orleans. And they have a whole series of fellowships and funding opportunities both during and post-college for launching your own ventures in New Orleans um, as a social entrepreneur um, and really coming up with a a better way to solve the problems and not just you know you know, through community service learn about and experience the problems it's really about solving them.
1: Right and that's sort of the beautiful thing about it is that you can really gauge from day one like you said where the curriculum can sort of grow and improve You know gauging where where the curriculum is heavier if it's heavier on the business side of things or if it's heavier in the community development because that's social entrepreneurship in a nutshell it's basically just you know the dichotomy again um not so much the dichotomy but the dual aspects of it that interplay you know the rigorous academic background mixed with this passion and this drive for social change so it sounds like it's a very essentially a very adaptable model and it's 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 great that it can you know, work on such a broad spectrum of colleges, universities, because, like you said, they differ so much. It just mm-hmm. depending on the staff and the students that end up going there. It's a, it's incredible that it's, it's able to, you know, cover that entire ground.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think that any smart student will both want to take the courses. So. Um, similarly to, you know, MBAs usually recommend that you have a certain amount of work experience so that when you are in the class and you're doing all these theoretical conversations based on real life activities, you can draw on your own personal experience, your own personal challenges and bring that into the classroom. So similarly, um, whether you're an undergraduate or, or a graduate student, um, you have to be symbiotically learning. Um, By being a leader, whether it's at a student leader level or in a community or, you know, many undergrads and even high school students are launching their own nonprofits these days or or social ventures, whether it's for profit or nonprofit. And they're doing the leadership in addition to being a full time student. But what they are creatively doing more and more is having their academic research papers be about topics that they are actually doing applied work in for their you know, uh, venture. So Mm -hmm. many students who are running student microcredit organizations, um, at Brown university, there was a, a really smart example of a student that was helping to launch. This was several years ago, but a student that was helping to get Brown University's um, uh, student microcredit organization that would be giving out local, um, grants in, in the whole, uh, broader Providence area. So not for students on campus, but for community members. And to do a good job in preparing the case and preparing their research, they did a benchmarking of all the other student undergrad uh, microcredit programs that were also working in their local communities. So, but what they did was they called it a group independent research project, and they had a whole team of nearly eight, 10 students working on it, getting academic credit to benchmark other models. And then the student actually launched it as an initiative and then they had you know ongoing research to continue to to measure impact and, and assess it so i think there are really creative ways that that research and knowledge and benchmarking and the rigor that, that we were mentioning, mentioning before can be done and you can actually get academic credit for it. And then you can apply those insights, lessons learned and best practices into the actual work you're doing. And then it can continue to be a whole cycle where you then, you know, get more people to assess and review and evaluate. And I think that is where the smartest students are not having two separate lives of being a full-time student leader mm. or a full-time social entrepreneur and a full-time student, that they actually are putting other students to work for them mm. and they can get academic credit and get, and get other students' academic credit to do really thoughtful, rigorous, analytical work that can actually directly feed into them being more effective as a social entrepreneur.
1: Right.
0: This Innovate series features dialogue with some of the most influential advocates for changing our world. From the CEOs and founders of major nonprofits to the directors of cultural and academic institutions, Innovate demonstrates the vital role of empathy as an agent for that change. Innovate and Aspire are produced in partnership with Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, the Kellogg Fellows Leadership Alliance, and the Philadelphia Social Innovations Journal, and presented by Art Street Press and the Public Radio Exchange. We now return to our Engelvay Under 30 interview with Director of Special Projects, Anne Lizio, and Marina Kim, Co-Founder and Executive Director of Ashoka U.
1: Going back to one of the, I guess one of the main tenets of Ashoka U is that this, you know, colleges and universities, no matter, no matter where they are, no matter what kind of school they are, are sort of experiencing this, I guess, the word was crisis of identity, relevance, and responsibility. Um, so how, how do you think that these 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 crises essentially mm-hmm. um, how do you think Ashoka you functions as a force to combat this crisis and I mean I, I completely agree with the fact that you know taking a lot of the coursework that in the humanities especially taking that coursework and making it applicable to real life is is a challenge so Ashoka you really I, I think is is doing great work in addressing that problem and sort of putting it back on colleges and universities, you know, students that are driven, that are very motivated, that are very smart, like you said, but just giving them the tools that colleges and universities should be providing to begin with.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think it's a two-way street. I think that more and more students are finding ways to make college applicable for them. And a lot of it is making sure that their leadership and their professional aspirations and the skills that they want to develop to, you know, do something meaningful in the world mm-hmm. are in alignment with their academic studies. So, um, for example, I ended up studying international relations, but that gave me an excuse to do a lot of field work and get different research grants where ultimately I was studying social entrepreneurship in different parts of the world and finding a way to justify different funding and research and um, coursework that would actually help me accomplish my exploration of international social entrepreneurship trends while I was getting my degree. Um, And so I think, you know, increasingly the academics and the leadership are not so separate and the universities that are understanding and when a student… In the past, the college experience, whether it's graduate or undergraduate, was very separate from their professional experience. And I think more and more, it's your identity that will become your professional identity is increasingly formalized when you're in your, you know, undergraduate years, for example. And your identity is, is as much about your identity of the values you want to live by and the type of work that aligns with those values, that's what gets crystallized in college. And so you know, many people want to have a very smooth transition of that identity and of their leadership experiences from college to the, the, the real world. Um, and many people find that transition very bumpy. Um, that's not to say that undergraduates should be completely pre-professional, because that's not what I'm saying. You can formalize an identity in a very academic context by really grappling with the complexity of social change or grappling with um, the history of different social processes problems and that the history of different leaders in different places around the world that was for me what helped fix in my identity and being exposed to lots of amazing real world social entrepreneurs telling their stories that's how i you know really found my story through hearing other people's stories and and kind of navigated who i wanted to be like but how i was different and and really questioning a lot and i think college is perfect for that you get to be exposed to lots of things you get to be thinking about very complicated Challenges, some of which have solutions, and some of which are, you know, less clear cut. And and you get exposed to fascinating people that you either want to be like, or you um, can take a little piece from lots of different people. Um, and and often it can even be a student who's three or three years older than you, or a graduate student if you're an undergrad, that can also be pivotal in being the role models that help set your identity and your values. That. Will ultimately guide many years or many decades of your life. So I really think that um, this this crisis of identity is is actually um, finding making the bureaucracy of universities um, not hinder the ability for students to to explore and, and find all those intersections um, and. Um, Having the academic work complement the student leadership work, and the leading into professional careers,
1: right? I, I, actually, ma'am, exactly in the same boat as you. I studied international relations as an undergraduate as well, and it really was that exposure—exposure, exposure, excuse me—to the, the gamut of social entrepreneurship around the world, um, and just the ability to question, like you said, was really the most empowering thing. And it's—and you know—it drives you to sort of model. You know, ask the questions, like you said, where, you know, where can I fit in in this greater picture? You know, what can I bring to the table? I know that I'm passionate about this, but where do my talents and my my skill set, essentially, where does that fit in? So, uh, how many universities and colleges has Ashoka U partnered with to date?
0: Right
2: so uh, we have a broad based network where there's been nearly 170 colleges and universities that we've actively worked with through our annual convening called the Ashoka U exchange uh, and that is the the largest global convening for social entrepreneurship student leaders and educators in social entrepreneurship and senior leadership including deans presidents and provosts to come together learn from each other share best practices and then talk about where universities and colleges have the potential to go in this time of change and um so, so that's actually happening. Uh, the next one is in February 2014, hosted at Brown University, uh, and, and it will be um, about 650 people, uh, student leaders, faculty leaders, social entrepreneurs, Ashoka fellows, mm-hmm. uh, media thought leaders, philanthropists, business leaders, um, and it will be representative from uh, over 150 universities and uh, about 40 countries but uh, so that's the, for anyone who's interested in getting involved in playing a leadership role on their campus they are welcome to attend participate you know speak about what they've learned and some of their best their best practices but for the institutional designation that Ashoka U does that's the most rigorous selection process that we have and it's it is really focused on the institution as an exemplar of building a culture a curriculum and um, uh, a community around social innovation mm-hmm. campus-wide. Um, we have 24 change maker campuses in five different countries, um, and and that's also it's it's growing all the time. But but it, it you know and again we are really deliberately looking for very diverse models of campuses. So we want we have a campus College of the Atlantic that is just under 400 students um, com- total. Mm-hmm. It's, tiny liberal arts college that's also one of the, gre- it's the greenest campus in the country in the United wow. States. Um, and they are carbon neutral or even <laughs> carbon negative as a campus. Um, so they're really innovative. Um, and then we have also the largest campus in the country, Arizona State University with over 70,000 students in four campuses. Um, and, uh, and they're also completely, They're, they, they've restructured all of their different disciplines, so every single um, program at ASU is interdisciplinary, because they, you know, understand that the world is not siloed in disciplines, so they want their campus to reflect the real world, and they want the complexity of interdisciplinary thinking and learning and perspectives to be embedded into the actual university experience. Um and and so you know they're doing incredibly visionary things and president crow from arizona state university is one of the you know most incredible college presidents we have in the united states right now um and and so and we have everything in between we have again the small the large we have public we have private um we have different religious um faiths represented we have um and and we're looking for building even more diversity and so we're in conversation with a community college right now and and also even more global diversity and so um you know we have we have countries represented including Mexico, Canada, the UK, Ireland um and um a- and we're in conversations with folks across Africa and Asia right now so it's it's wow. really and truly a global movement and that's what's really exciting and um you know, we started initially with the United States because that's that's the context that Aaron and I knew. Um, and, you know, trying to be, um, we really wanted to refine our model as much as possible locally. So actually our first year we started in the northeast of the U.S. And then we started expanding more and more even across the U.S. And now we then started going to North America and now we're more global. So it's been a very Intentional growth process and a very intentional learning process, um, so that you know we didn't want to go too global too fast before we had a specific model really refined.
1: Right, right. And while you're seeing while you're seeing this really exciting physical geographic expansion of the programming, um, it's 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 great because it seems like every time you expand to a new school or um experience a new group of students it's the the model itself is becomes more adaptable and the model itself grows just because it's you know bringing into bringing into the the mix all of these different all of these different possibilities essentially so it yeah so it's it seems like while you're you know looking outward it's also a very inward growth as well
2: but i actually think that is the nature of social entrepreneurship if you're really a good social entrepreneur. You, As your model evolves and as you grow your partners and your impact, you're always learning and watching and observing and listening to see how things that are new and things that are influencing you, um, whether it's the external environment or your own organization or your own partners, that all gets built into the evolution and the iterating on a constant basis. So yeah, but you have to be open. So you have to have a clear focus in a clear direction in terms of your mission and strategy, but it's as the context shifts and as your learning evolves, um, you always need to be updating that.
1: Right, I agree. You know, adaptability, I think, speaks volumes of people. Their their ability to sort of, you know, come come at it with an idea of their own, but then realize that it can change. (laughs) It can change overnight. It can change in a matter of minutes depending on the context, depending on the circumstances for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's just in terms of the students that Ashoka U works with. You know, they're very driven. They're very ambitious. They're, you know, kids that wake up in the morning when they, you know, when they read an article about a problem somewhere, they they just get really excited and they want to find a way to, you know, again employ their talents, employ their skills and the the experiences they've had already to make a change. But I think I think it's interesting just in this this past year. Our generation, you know, the millennials, has received quite a bit of attention in the mainstream media. Um, in the you know the Time magazine article that called us the "me me me" generation uh, and questioned our ability to live up to the title the next greatest generation. And there's also you know opposing studies that our peers, people our age, are some of the most motivated, some of the most progressive and capable. Uh, one of the most capable groups of young people in recent history, so it sort of seems that society, to me at least, is sort of waiting to see how our generation can really mm-hmm. bring or not bring in our lifetime. Uh, and Ashoka is sort of founded on the notion that these ki- that you know college age students are at, at this pivotal time mm-hmm. when they can really make a lasting impact with this sense of confidence, with this sense of I can make a difference. So what would you have to say to the writers and social you know social commentators who doubt the abilities of young people to quote you know be be the next greatest generation
2: Well you know I actually think that social entrepreneurship and social innovation draws on both of those um responses that if you actually think about it in a positive framing of me 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 it's actually I would say that our generation is lucky And has built on the the amazing work of previous generations that have lived through the Great Depression, that have you know, in the case of my family, been immigrants to the country and you know built themselves up from scratch. And um, you know, many you know many Americans that's that's their story. That um, this generation, and again, I'm very much generalizing, has an ability. to think about me, 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 but in the context of what do I want to be in the world? Who do I want to be in the world? What do I want to do in the world? And what is my identity? And what are my values? And how do I live them? So you can almost flip it and say, that if you know it is pretty selfish to say I want to do something meaningful in the world and I want to help people and I want to leave an impact I want to leave a legacy, mm-hmm. in some ways that's selfish, you know. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I think you know there's a there's a, a phrase enlightened self-interest. Um, I, I think there's a way that you can actually harness this intrinsic human need. Like there's there's some basic human needs. One is belonging. One is you know, t- to feel like you have worth and meaning and value. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so and and then another one, and I, this is where I think our generation is. it's it's in the pursuit of self-actualization that you want to be the most um, perfect form of yourself that you can become through challenging yourself, growing, becoming, um, and becoming the best you can be. Um, and so I, I think that social entrepreneurship pulls on some of those personal self-actualization, finding your dream, finding your identity, becoming someone you know, meaningful and doing something worthwhile in the world and, and belonging to a community, um, to a movement. Um, and on the flip side, the, the, the more altruistic people who come at it from um, seeing a problem, being exposed to injustice, feeling anger, feeling passion and wanting to do something about it and I actually don't see these two threads of conversation as that dichotomous. Mm. So I actually see that there are two trends. One is that people want to do what they want to do. They don't want to be told what to do by employers as much anymore. They want to have their own choice, their own identity, their own kind of – they want to be their own boss. And so entrepreneurship is great for that if you're up to the responsibility and the challenge. Um, And on the other side, people do more and more um, have these – You know, since they're not worried about their own survival, want to – um, do something of value and, and something meaningful in the world, you know, it, globally or locally when they see that there's a need not being filled so that they, they can actually um, positively experience their own impact. And so I think those are just really h- intrinsic human needs that we're just at the point where um, the pieces are coming together where it's not just about survival and economic need, but it really is these higher level self-actualization and having as many people as possible meaningfully participate in in the world. And so that's where Mm -hmm. I really get inspiration from Ashoka's vision of a world where everyone is a change maker um, and that, you know, even if you're young you can do something. You can be powerful even as a, a young leader. So Uh, with humility. You need to have humility and empathy, but you can still do something really powerful and meaningful.
1: Right. I love that response. I mean, I think you're right on point with the fact that, you know, our generations really have, have the advantage of, you know, this expanded, expanded sense of possibility, you know, working on, like you said, you know, previous generations, uh, our parents working to provide, Better lives for us and their parents working to provide better lives for them. You know, it's it's really coming to a culmination point at this point, and it's it's it would be hard, and almost, I think, sort of retroactive to take that. You know, to take that work that has been done to you know enable us to have experiences. You know, study abroad and um, you know some. You know, a lot of students our ages. You know, our age are first generation college students, and you know taking those experiences and saying well you know I've had these great experiences but now what do I do with them it would almost be again retroactive to not question what do I want from this and what do I really think that I my calling is in life so Mm -hmm. I think yeah I think you're absolutely on point with that
2: yeah and that's what we hear from students who who find social entrepreneurship and social innovation that it kind of meets these competing needs um, you know to do something meaningful and to have a career path that in the past i think you know you know generations ago only Rich wives could be charitable, you know, and it was it was a, a luxury that you did on the side of your work or if you were extremely wealthy. And Whereas now, I think integrating it into a career path and integrating it across different socioeconomic levels um, and integrating it from a younger age than people could do in the past, I think that's where we're opening up opportunity for more people of more ages.
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, like you said, it doesn't really matter where you're coming from as long as you have this drive and this sort of, this passion and this confidence that you can make a difference. It really does sort of, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Marina, thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful speaking with you, hearing about your experiences and your insights Uh, The best way to reach Marina and to support her work with Ashoka U is through AshokaU.org. Is that right, Marina?
2: That's correct. Thank you.
1: Great. So you can click on the webpage links above this podcast for further details. Thanks again, Marina.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Our library of interviews and a range of further resources may be found at archstreetpress.org or prx.org.